0: following episode with Adam McEnroy is a general source of information only. It is not intended to provide personalized tax, legal, or investment advice, and is not intended as a solicitation to purchase securities. Enjoy the show. Welcome back everyone to Two Nobodies, this is episode 27, I'm really excited to be back. I'm glad that people are listening. If this is your first time, listen, subscribe, and hopefully you like this episode. I've got a really great guest and Adam McElroy. I've known Adam back when we did our undergrad together and we would talk, you would talk training all the time, what to eat. He's always sharing these crazy workout programs with me. I remember the German volume workout yeah. program. Yes. So I got Adam McEnroy to join me. He's an executive financial consultant for one of the largest um, asset managers in Canada. And so we're going to talk investing. We're going to talk about diet and training and maybe a little jujitsu I think we're going to talk yep. about, but it's going to be fun. Adam, welcome to Two Nobodies, man. I'm so glad to see you. We have not spoken since 2008. And it's so just really, really, really happy to have you on the, on the show.
1: Yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me. I mean, this is just pretty awesome. I listened to that Stu McGill, and I was hooked. Stu McGill got <laughs> me in, and here
0: I am. <laughs> he's uh, he's an interesting, interesting person. He was he was somebody who um, you know, as as many people who went to Waterloo, you just can't help but admire. Oh yeah. And to have him speak in a way that was just not in his normal, like he was out of his comfort zone, it was a really, really neat experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and ton yeah. Of, tons of respect for him, everything he's done as far as research goes, and just totally, i to call it revolutionizing the whole back industry as far as fitness and back health goes, and totally flipping that industry upside down and saying, hey guys, you got it wrong, and having the guts to say that in today's society.
0: I'm still surprised that there are a lot of trainers out there who don't incorporate, you know, it might not have to be every single exercise, I, and he even says this, like, you know, he gets commented for, you know, if you're in mixed martial arts while well, you're flexing the spine and therefore you're, you know, um, you know, you're going to hurt your back. He understands yeah. that there there are certain movements in certain sports where you just can't obviously, you know, keep a certain posture and, and move a certain way. But I still find it very surprising that many trainers haven't found him or even if they find him, they don't sort of adhere to him. It's just it's it's just mind-boggling for me but again I'm also a convert so
1: Yeah you, you've been converted you've had a few classes yeah. with them
0: Yeah yeah <laughs> do you what's your training like these days
1: Yeah so I mean I have 3 kids at home so that in and of itself makes it a big challenge um yeah. but I mean up until my f- first kid was born I was big into powerlifting so squat deadlift bench like I when we my wife and I bought our first home it was a uh, Either I get the basement or I get the garage for the gym. And I ended right. up in the garage, which was fine. Um, yeah. So, like, I have a pretty solid setup. COVID didn't set me back at all. Um, but, I mean, once my son was born, I stopped competing in that. Just I didn't have the same time and energy to devote to heavy, heavy lifting all the time. Yeah. And so probably did my body some good. Um, my wife says I've lost a few pounds and my suits definitely show that. Uh, when hey, you're that's a what matters right when when you wear a suit yeah. every day you notice those body weight fluctuations for sure so i uh, for the last couple of years continue to lift heavy but about 3 years ago cuz my old my youngest is 4 so 3 years ago got into jiu jitsu just cuz i recognize that i am horrible for stretching and warming up mm-hmm. i'm just bad at it i'm like why do i want to spend 10 minutes doing that and i know the science behind it i should definitely be doing it i'm not the person you want to be following for that kind of advice um but i'm like i need to do something and I, i'm like i'm not going to go to yoga i'm not going to stretch on my own i've got it i'm going to take up jiu-jitsu um so i started training brazilian jiu-jitsu and man was it a eye-opener like whew, i'm a pretty strong it's a dude.
0: workout is what i'm hearing like it's, a, oh, yeah. it's a, it can be a serious cardio workout
1: oh yeah like legitimately um like I started in it and it was first of all very humbling. Very, very humbling. I was probably two seventy five when I started and mm. my bench was over three, so I'm a pretty strong dude. Squat was over five. I was deadlifting consecutively over five hundred, no problem. So pretty strong dude going into jujitsu and like a hundred and fifty pound guy just like manhandled me. Like it was <laughs> ridiculous. Right. Um, and I'm like, there's something going on here. So, um, yeah, when you roll, so it's like technique where you're learning and repping technique, the same way you do mm. basketball drills, um, or something along those lines. And then there's randori is what we call it. So it's fighting or rolling. Um, and man, like it is crazy. Um, not to mention like you're wearing a gi generally or a no gi, but even still like, okay, it's fast. It's six minute rounds. And it's hard to move for six minutes, with the adrenaline pumping, because it's just a whole new world. Right? Like, when you're I, ro-
0: when you, when you're rolling, what's the what's the purpose? Like, what's the objective? Like, what are you trying to achieve?
1: Um, so in sport jiu-jitsu, there's points. There's a point progression system. So as you gain advantages on your opponent, as you move up in, uh, I'm gonna call it strategic position, you gain points, um, or to submit the person. So you can choke mm-hmm. them. You can um, arm bar, like you, you attack joints, um, Mm. and the neck to, you know, submit them in different capacities. There's no striking, there's no body blows or anything like that. So I generally don't go to the office with black eyes, which is really helpful. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an awesome sport. Awesome.
0: You're like, how tall are you again? Six two, six three on a good day. Adam is Adam is uh Adam's got some size to him and no one yeah. would probably want to mess with the other like you probably you probably feel pretty pretty secure in your position these days, I would think.
1: Uh you know, from a jiu-jitsu standpoint, I certainly have progressed, but yeah. like I'm three years in and a hundred and fifty pound guy can still still take... destroy me. Like he's a much higher belt rank than I am. Like I'm still a white belt, I'm working my way up. Uh, he's yeah. a brown belt but I mean there's no competition like the days that I have a good position on him he's like yeah I wanted you to put me there so I could work my way out of it I'm like okay now I just feel like a chump <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is a goal to be a black belt then
1: that's the long-term goal but realistically like it's about the journey um and that's mm-hmm. one of the big things like you know for a while I was like when am I gonna get my blue belt when am I gonna get my blue belt and now I'm like You know, it doesn't really matter. Like as long as I go into the gym every day, focused on learning, even just like a minute detail, I know it's going to carry exponentially in the future. And so it's, you know, the belt is a visual reward. But like when I go on to the mat more confidently, when I feel like I've learned a new position, that's just a self mastery skill, which I really have in the last 12 months really started to appreciate that, you know, a belt means something but it really doesn't. Right. Cause yeah. just cause you're a black belt, you know, and I'm not saying this lightly, like just cause you're a black belt doesn't mean you've earned that. Right. And so I want to make sure I've earned that, but I also, um, you know, have the skill to back that up.
0: Did you do any martial arts before?
1: No, not at all. No. So like no. I was power lifting, lifting heavy. Um, and I'd be playing pickup hockey and stuff like that. But I, Never had the opportunity to do a martial art, never boxed or anything like that. And it was just, you know, I knew I needed to change a fitness component, um, put in some cardio, um, but the primary thing was to start stretching. And when you're being forced and in contorted into different positions that maybe aren't the best for the spine, you certainly do stretch. And so it was mm-hmm. a natural benefit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when COVID hit, did it all kind of just shut down?
1: Yeah, it was been, been really interesting. Like, um, it definitely shut down at first. And then when our first phase of reopening happened, you could go in and roll. You could go in and train without a mask, but you couldn't train with a live human. You got to bring in your dummy. So, like, people would bring in okay. stuffed animals and stuff. It's yep. not the same to roll with, like, a big sheep or anything like that. It's just not quite the same. <laughs> um, and then... Things lifted up and we could roll. We had groups that we could roll with, and then then we got shut down again. And then since I think it's August this year, things have been you know you can train normally, which is great. And next weekend is my first competition. We're going down to Ottawa to compete, and so that's good that there's competitions happening again too. So
0: and is that based on weight class?
1: Yeah, so it's based on belt weight class and age. So
0: because I'm over.
1: I'm a master's, like, because I'm over thirty, so I fall into a master's category. Oh, great! <laughs> <laughs> masters. It sounds really great, though.
0: And so they'll match you up. So age. Will they? Match, yeah. Then what's the next thing? Does it go belt or does it go yeah. weight or? Yeah.
1: So all three factors are carried in. So I would be going against another white belt, who's two hundred twenty yeah. pounds or heavier, okay. and between thirty and thirty-nine.
0: Okay, because I was going to say if you went with a higher belt, you might. Probably not oh, yeah. be a good idea. I, I yeah.
1: wouldn't be meeting podium. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'd survive, but I wouldn't meet the podium.
0: I'll have to follow up with you on yeah on how that goes. Is this is your first competition.
1: Yeah, first competition. So pretty stoked for it. Have a few good coaches coming down with me, so it'll be good.
0: I did. Uh, I did Taekwondo. This was a long time ago. This was like between the ages of hmm, maybe ten to fifteen, and I finished my finished my black belt. And I, I remember going to taekwondo competitions and I was so when I turned 14 Adam I was four feet eight inches like I was really oh. really small <laughs> yeah like I it, when I went into grade 11 I grew I think six inches over a summer or something Whoa, like that it was it's a big spur. Um, yeah it was a big spur. I mean I'm not I'm only five feet eight but I'm not that tall but um but at that age I was going up against you know kids who were you know five, three, five, four. And, uh, it was intimidating, man. It was, uh, it was tough. Some of those like Ontario wide competitions that I would go to, but anyways, I hope you have fun. There, yeah. I remember them it be fun. I, I don't know what it would be like to, to do it as an adult. I feel like it would be more intense than when you were a kid. Cause there's like that fun element. And I yeah. don't know, maybe as an adult, there's a fun element too. Uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things like, it's one of those things where when you are fight, literally like not all out fighting, but you're fighting for competition. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's the bad apples in the group and it just adds a whole nother level of complexity when you're an adult versus a child. So we'll see yeah, what happens. Yeah, I'm, sh- yeah. I'm sure it'll be a gr- good group of people. And I mean, I got some great coaches coming down with me, so it'll be a lot of fun regardless.
0: Uh, well, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that, you know, the has kinda of come back online like this pandemic is okay. I feel like it's kinda of gone both ways. You've seen people just you know, obviously gyms have been closed so they can't work out or even if they could work out at home, they're just just not able to or not just not working yeah. out and not staying fit and healthy. And then you've seen I've seen the other side of things where people are just really like focused and honed in and change their lifestyles and see dramatic improvements and you see these stories. And yeah, you see these two kind of extremes. But it's been a, it's been a weird time, hey.
1: Eh? It's been so challenging. And like, staying on the fitness topic, I really feel for the people who just can't afford to go to the gym or do the pickup ball and stuff 100%. like that. Hundred like, percent, yeah. Literally in the summer, because you weren't allowed gatherings of over five people outside, we had downtown. We have downtown basketball, basketball courts here in Peterborough. And mm-hmm. literally, like, neighbors were calling and saying, hey, they're playing a pickup game of basketball. And the police had to come and shut it down. And, I'm like, those are, like, it's kids playing. Like, they need that. That is their, their outlet. And we've just taken that away. And, and, like, in the name of what, like, I get we're COVID yeah. and all that stuff. But, like, we need to have some sense here. And, like, is that really the biggest risk? Or is there a bigger risk that they're not building a community, that they're not socializing? And what are the downsides to that? Right.
0: Well, we're already seeing, I mean, I, we can't, I can't speak for what's going on in the States, but if it just feels like in Canada, like you don't see much like ball hockey happening on the streets yeah. anymore. At least like I grew up in Toronto and that really stopped for like after the age of 14, 15, I really didn't see much. Um, and so like to think that kids are wanting to congregate and play some basketball or play some hockey and yeah. then, you know, for for, you know, right or wrong, they're being restricted to do so. Um, that's tough. That yeah.
1: Is tough. I mean, yeah, it's just it, I think what we've seen is a bigger divide between the have and have nots. And I don't just mean like financially in so many different ways, the people with family, the people without family, like there's just been so many factors socially, relationship wise, fitness wise, employment wise between different people. You're just yeah. seeing a massive divide on so many different levels.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to take you back to March 2020. Yeah. as an executive financial consultant. <laughs> yeah. What was what was that month like? And I think I I think you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. So so for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar with the financial markets, basically March of 2020 was for lack of a better word, the recent doomsday, right? Like we literally saw the equity markets go beyond a bear market. So for the average listener out there, a bear market is defined by the market index dropping by 20% or more. Um, So we passed correction territory, we're in a bear market. And, you know, it was my first bear market. It's the first time I've been through a bear market as an executive Mm. financial consultant. I've certainly read about them. I've been through corrections before. I've been through other world events before. I've been through Brexit. I've been through the Trump election. Um, a number of other ones in there, but this is the first one where things felt different. Like from a business operation standpoint, Mm -hmm. it was the first time where we were saying, no, we can't meet you in person. And when Mm -hmm. you're telling that to people who's working, have been working with you for decades, you know, 20, 30 years, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, but we still need to talk about our money. Yeah, no problem. We'll just do it over Zoom. And for some people, that's no big deal. For other people, mm-hmm. it's like this is a whole new world. True. And money, money, you know, can bring out the best in people. It can also bring out the worst in people. And at a time where we're already with so much uncertainty, people tried to make something certain. And they didn't know how to do that. They didn't know if they'd see their children in the next couple of months, if this was truly the end of the world, what was going to happen and so you know we did a lot of proactive work by calling our clients and it was Mm. all through the month of march and it was talking to them about yes this is what's happening i don't know how it's going to end but i do have faith that it will end and things will turn out all right i cannot tell you today how that's going to be but know that we're going to be here through it with you and i'm going to say for the vast majority of our clients, they weren't as concerned as you might think they were. It was more of, yeah, it was more of a thank you for the phone call. Thank you for being proactive. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule because I'm sure there's a million people trying to call you and there wasn't, we were very active in reaching out to our client base. You know, the nice thing was we knew, you know, at the middle of March statements were going to come out in the next two weeks and, They're gonna be down. And it was cool to be calling clients proactively saying, you're gonna get your statement the next, yeah, how bad is it gonna be? You know, this is what it is. Really, that's it? Yep, that's where it's at. Oh, okay. And because we had such a fast, like, rebound, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it was March 24th was the actual bottom of that.
0: I remember the exact date, yep, March 24th, yep.
1: Yeah, so like, by the time, like some of those phone calls happened, middle of March, start of April. And when you call them back, when you call them for those ones who we called in the start of April, it was, okay, so where are we at now? Well, this is where the market was. Like this is what your quarterly statement says. This is where you are now. Oh, I'm already up. Yeah. You're already re- starting to recover. Mm. Oh, okay. And it's like, it wasn't the catastrophe that some people thought it was. Um, at least from where I sat with our clients that we were working with, it was uh, thank you for proactively calling me. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to make this um, phone call. Um, Yeah, I mean, I certainly wasn't looking to jump out a fourth story window or anything like that. It was Hmm. certainly um, emotionally stressful, but it wasn't in my mind the end of the world by any means.
0: That's really good to hear that, like the reassurance, you know, prevented people from wanting to yeah, pull out their investments or or, you know, d- take some really draconian actions. Um, so that that's that's really good to hear. What was what was the point at which you as, you know, just thinking from an investment perspective, yeah. were you feeling like, OK, I think. I think it feels I think this this feels okay now cuz the S&P dropped at like what 45% or Yep, it was down. Yeah, it it, 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 <laughs> it was, was uh, it was definitely it was definitely down it was significant and it was like the first time you know obviously in our lifetime that just yep. the economy literally shut down businesses yep. had to shut down and and uh there was that much uncertainty so at what point what what was the trigger for you to be like okay I think this is like is now safe like was it you know, I know um, from the from the U.S. equity market, like the Federal Reserve certainly backed a lot of major <laughs> yeah. companies, and they got involved, and you know that's a that's a thing in itself. Yep. Um, I've heard that people feel like okay, once the Fed jumped in and central banks jumped in, it was yeah. like they felt reassured. But what was the thing for you that you were like okay, from purely investment standpoint, yeah. what was the yeah? You
1: know, it's interesting, and I don't want to get too much into it, but with the Federal Reserve jumping in. Was it needed? Probably. It certainly at least from an emotional psyche standpoint, mm. gave confidence in a capitalist society, but you know, it was one of those things where, and maybe it's just who I am, but it was before the end of March where I said, okay, we're going to be shut down. We're not going to be seeking clients. We need to pivot and figure out how to adapt because mm. When you're dealing with people's money, working with people in long-term relationships, dealing with financial planning, it's a relationship business and it's also a trust business. And there's not much more people um, divulge to you, you know, unless you're their priest, unless you're talking about money. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, it was very much a let's just... It is what it is. I can't change what the governments are putting in place, whether I agree with them or not. Like I cannot change that. But what can I do to continue to support the practice that I'm working to build, the clients that I'm serving? How can I pivot to be the best position I can be to be there for them? And, you know, by the start of April, I was already like, this is what we're doing. I was moving and it suddenly clicked like, I think for a lot of people, it was, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. Mm. I don't know what's going to happen to my health. The markets are crashing. This might be the end of the world. And they were seeking something that they could control. And so the draconian measure that you talked about, I think, was very real. And we have mm. we have stats to show how drastic that draconian measure was of people pulling out of the market mm. in March of 2020. And it was insane. The outflows from the market were immense
0: that being from, from 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 the kind of clientele that you would typically see no okay
1: not from my clientele um yeah definitely not from my clientele i would say you know less than 1% of the clients that we choose to work with would have been in that boat very mm. small um but what where was i going with that where One thing that I saw very rapidly was companies shifting overnight to, we can still keep operations working, we're working from home. And Mm -hmm. yes, there were certain sectors that have been, were, have been, and continue to be devastated. For sure. But there was a lot of companies overnight that said, we need to keep the lights on. And that's what you would expect. In a capitalist society, no matter what the challenge is thrown at, there's going to be someone or a company that improvises, innovates, and changes the way the business is operated. And so you saw Zoom overnight. Almost every operation company had Zoom overnight mm-hmm. like that. DocuSign, like legal documents mm-hmm. that had to be signed in wet signature. All of a sudden overnight, we had full access to DocuSign. Mm-hmm. And like all these technology changes that were coming in our business, suddenly they're there. And, you know, it's like, business is going to keep going and people think that this is going to be the end of the world but it's really not like our ac- economy is built on an entrepreneurial system and it just it's that desire to we got to keep businesses operating we got to keep our right. businesses flowing and so like literally by the probably first week in april i was like you know i, d- I still don't know that this is the end as far as the market drops go but I know that we're going to be okay. And again, it's that I'm not confident. I don't know the outcome, like how it's going to be okay, but I see things that were like sprouts of grass coming up from the ground. And I'm like, there's a, there's a hope here. And here's another hope. And you just start stringing those together and you're like, this is going to turn out way better. And it's going to create some, a lot of changes. Um, but like I would say within the first or second week of April, Again, I didn't know that the bottom had been hit for sure, for Mm -hmm. sure, but I knew that I knew with 100% confidence everything was going to work out. I didn't know how, but I knew it was because I just saw the adaptation of so many different sectors of our economy, pivoting, realigning, shifting to work from home models, like so much changing that I'm like, there's going to be so much more profit because now people are staying at home. They're not spending the same way. So like yeah.
0: And I mean at the end of the day if you're a long-term investor you're not going to worry about a single peak or a, a W yeah. or I mean the the biggest concern was you know whether you just saw just sort of long-term stagnation but generally if you're a long-term investor like that shouldn't shouldn't faze you but it definitely when you see in that short amount of time things swinging that negatively like it was a very very scary time and it's it's good to you know, I don't know if you've thought about this much, but like we we see it seems like not it seems like there is a lot of cynicism these days, right? There's a lot of mistrust. Um, we see issues yep. of people, you know, can't we can't even agree on basic facts, right? Um, and to think that you know someone would continue to trust you um, you know, after a, a big negative slide like that, that's probably. Uh, you know, kudos to to you and, and the people that you work with to to maintain that trust. But I I I, I think about how many people, maybe not as a result of this, uh, uh, as a result of that downturn, but just over the years, have turned away from people like you to manage their money. Yep. Um, to directing on the uh, doing self-directed investing. Like I'm, I'm a self-directed investor. I just trust myself. And, but I mean, I also read and learn about these things and I'm, I'm not someone who, um, you know, but, but it's easy though. It's so easy to just put your money into like an index fund or these kind of, um, baked in portfolio ETFs and, and, and kind of do things. Right. So like I just wonder how many people are, are swinging towards self-directed investing. And is that a concern for like your profession? Do you think?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question and it's certainly, I'm going to call it an industry shifter, it's certainly Mm. created change within the industry. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's really important to bring up the fact that unfortunately right now in Canada, our industry doesn't regulate titles. Right, so like mm. anyone can call themselves a financial advisor, a financial planner. Anyone can call themselves a wealth manager. Or any other titles that you can create, and I think it does a really big disservice to someone like myself who holds their CFP designation.
0: Mm.
1: And I always create the the uh, comparison. You know, someone who calls themselves a wealth wealth specialist or a wealth manager or something like that without it without any designations behind their names, essentially has a license to sell a fund, an ETF or mm. a securities of some capacity. Someone with a CFP behind their name looks beyond just an investment portfolio.
0: Mm.
1: And so I equate it to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to drink here. Yeah, I equate it to a pharmaceutical rep has a license to sell a drug. A doctor looks at the holistic body and maybe part of it is a prescription for a drug, but part Mm. of it might also be you need to exercise, you need Mm. to stop smoking, and there's so many other factors that generate overall health.
0: Mm.
1: As a CFP, I don't just work with clients on an investment portfolio basis. We build out their holistic financial plan. And what I mean by that Mm. is we're looking at debt, debt strategies Debt management, cash flow planning, tax planning, um, income longevity, risk mit- mitigation, estate planning, and all the mm-hmm. like—all those components synchro- synchronously, so that it's not just a portfolio. And so, right. when we see those drops in the markets, and the client calls in, and we have a conversation, or we call them proactively, it's not a "how much am I down?" but how does this truly impact my my retirement longevity? and we we can confidently say yeah it's not going to matter at all because we've run the scenario already for you with what you've dropped mm. and you're still in great shape right having that conversation puts a very different perspective on it than what drop have I had okay what does that mean well i don't know right like
0: that's in, yeah that that framing that framing would be very beneficial for especially for yeah those clients who can't necessarily um process that bigger picture right for you to frame it as like okay this is not just a don't just look at the immediate number in your investment but to look at how this impacts your entire financial plan that's a very different frame than saying like yep you're you're down in this particular portion of your investments or just focusing on those like those numbers um that would be interpreted very differently i would think
1: Yeah. It's, it goes back to, you know, it doesn't matter what your net worth is. What matters is what you plan to do with that money. Right. Mm. And so, um, you know, if you're getting 8% and I'm getting 6%, you, and I run out of man, money at 76 and you run out of money at 78, but we both lived to 85. It doesn't really matter what our rates of return were. We both mm. failed to meet our goal. Mm. Right. And so there's a lot more to a true financial plan than a portfolio. And to go back to your question, do I find it hard in our industry because of the change? Yes and no. I think um, I think there's some people who will do it on their own and miss out on other opportunities because they only build a portfolio and that's all they know. And there's mm-hmm. other components. You know, going back to COVID, um, the financial planning. Uh, Association of Canada did a lot of studying about the impacts that COVID had around wealth and distribution. Mm. And just to give you a few ideas, working with a CFP, so a certified financial planner professional, with a planner, despite COVID, 19% were still able to prioritize retirement savings, versus those people without a planner, only 9% were. Mm. Um, Same demographic, have they been able, to say, been able to increase money going to savings and or investments with a planner over 17% Were only 12% without a planner. Interesting. Seen an increase in credit card debts, only 8% with a, working with a CFP noticed an increase in their credit card debts. Without a planner, 17%.
0: Wow, that's I huge, to, especially with the interest rates on credit cards, right? So, right.
1: Yeah. The biggest one, though, I had to borrow money from loved ones to survive with a planner, mm-hmm. 3% without a planner, 11%. Wow. And, and like it just, uh, an investment portfolio is a huge part to a financial plan. Don't get me wrong, but right, it's certainly right. not the entire thing, the entire plan. And that's where someone like myself, I think really differentiates themselves from the pharmaceutical rep where they're here's a mutual fund. Here's an ETF portfolio. Yeah, See what happens.
0: Yeah, no, that's, uh, I think that's That's a, that's really good context. I think there's some things in there for sure that I just learned. Um, I'm curious about then when you have to manage the wealth of other clients and their financial plan what is what are the most common mistakes that you typically <laughs> run into like what are the things that you just just frustrate the shit out of you or or um you know you you just see them kind of kind of commonly go back to the same thing like what are the what are those things look like
1: yeah <clears throat> um so fortunately i excuse me <sighs>
0: I love your. Uh, I do remember Adam. I- I'm pretty sure that when you were in school, didn't you carry like this massive water bottle? Was that I you? totally did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> your mug is it was massive. I could just see it. Yeah, it's legit. Yeah. Like it's a liter and a half.
1: <laughs> it's supposed to be a beer mug.
0: Yeah. But I don't yeah. drink
1: beer, so water it is. But it's great yeah. because I can fill it up to here with ice and still have like a liter of water. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's
0: I so good.
1: That. So um, yeah, so to answer your question about the common mistakes I see, um, I'll answer it from what I see through my lens working with clients, and then I'll answer it from the conversations I've had with do-it-yourself investors. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: So for the clients that I work with, the biggest mistake, the few biggest mistakes that I see, failing to... understand that inflation is real. Mm. Um, This year is the exception to people actually cluing in that there's inflation. But, you know, retirement has changed in the last 50 70 100 years, it used to be you'd work all your life in something physical 65 would hit if you made it that far. And generally Mm. by 67 68, you're dead. So retirement was Mm. three years. We've come a lot with health care, with pension plans, et cetera. So, you know, there are certainly clients that I have that are 55, 60 and retired. Right. Average lifespan for a married couple. One of them on average is going to make at least 87. So now mm-hmm. like, let's just say 60 was retirement, 27 years. That's a long time to go compared to what it used to be. And if you don't, appreciate inflation, even when it's not where it is today, even if it's just a 2%, that's a very significant increase in cost of living year over year over year. Mm. And a lot of people fail to realize that, yes, you're retired and you want to keep your money safe, but safe to me when I'm building retirement income streams for 20, 30, 40 years even isn't under a mattress. Safe to me is I wanna keep you in this same lifestyle with dignity and comfort that you've been used to. And that mm-hmm. means keeping it safe from inflation, keeping mm-hmm. up with the cost of living so that when you hit 87 and you still have good health, you're not at the point of eating cat food.
0: Right. And so I
1: think you know, understanding what that looks like from an investment portfolio standpoint um, for a lot of older people, is challenging. Mm. Um, and the other one, which I think is the same, whether it's a do it yourself or with the clients is behavior. You know, we are not wired as humans for proper investing. We, we like the shiny thing. We like to read the newspaper. We like to get the updates and we tend to be our own worst enemies. Our Mm. emotions are such, and our brains are wired for reactions. And those reactions unchecked often result in the exact opposite reaction than what you would want to be doing.
0: Hmm.
1: And so, you know, sometimes it's just coaching them through the downturn of 2020 and saying, you know, I don't know how it's going to end other than it will end and things will come back and do not create, do not do something draconian to put it in your words, because the cost of that is going to be exponentially greater than just continuing with the plan.
0: Do you think that's why sort of a plain vanilla index fund or ETF just makes a lot of sense for people?
1: It can when it goes up, (laughs) everyone, (laughs) right? Like everyone has this euphoria sense when they see their money go up, but, when it goes up our mind is wired so that we expect any investment to always go up and Mm -hmm. so when the money goes up when the account balance goes up you don't have the same emotional response as if it drops when it drops the emotional response is twice what it is when it goes up and you know you walk into a casino and if you start by winning you're feeling great and you're going to keep going until right. it falls down. And then you're like, well, I got to win my money back. So I keep going. And Vanguard actually did a really good study. So I'm sure you're familiar with who Vanguard yeah. is. For those yeah. of us who aren't familiar with it, it's one of the largest ETF providers. And in the States, there's even zero cost ETFs that they're provided. But they have found through their own research, and this is an ETF company, that the advice and value that an advisor can provide is over three hundred basis points, so over three percent of the value and advice that an advisor is providing, and it has nothing to do with investment selection. It has mm. pure, a lot to do with cash flow management, and more importantly, behavior management and knowing how to connect with clients and talk them off those ledges. Because we we as humans are not designed for that. We're just not like. I feel great when I get a scratch off lottery ticket and I win, and then I go back and I buy another one, and you know,
0: it just keeps going. Yeah. So, Uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just, I'm I'm also thinking about these sort of baked in portfolios where you have like, you know, you can just get a balanced ETF portfolio. Vanguard has them, all the major um, investment companies have them, financial companies have them. And, you know, you don't have to do anything. You just put money in there. Don't yeah. have to worry about rebalancing. It's done automatically for you. Um, yeah. Do you see any risks to that? Like, you think there's still a behavior component to that?
1: 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, like, I think a lot of people are addicted to their phones, without a doubt. And mm. when I think we've put the ability to trade and create this sense of urgency that I always need to be checking what the markets are doing and be making my changes. So if you are truly a leave it and forget it investor, it can make sense. But I think the vast majority of us are very much a, Ooh, I should do this or I've read this and I need to make a change without thinking through all the other repercussions. Right. And time after time, like 2020, March was a great time to be going into the market. Just was. Like everything's on sale. If you go to the store mm. and, you know, buckwheat's on sale because you're making buckwheat pancakes that week, you're you're stocking up. Like I know you, right? You're, you're like, <laughs> "Michelle, we're I'm making the buckwheat p-
0: king, man. I'm the That's buckwheat right.
1: king." <laughs> like I, I get your game. It's good. Yeah. Right? Like but you're <laughs> stocking up on buckwheat cuz buckwheat, buckwheat, I'm sure is not a cheap commodity. Um, and so But the exact opposite happened. And, you know, I know that clients that I work with, they weren't part of that mass exodus out of the market. But the flows out of the market in March last year were very drastic. And April, May, June, the inflows were good, but they certainly didn't make up for the outflows that came in March. So you would think in a time when the market's dropping, behavior would be, it's on sale, let's put into it but that's not what the market saw. And mm. so, you know, even with a self-directed portfolio, there's still opportunities that are being missed there.
0: So were you, for your clients then at that point, generally suggesting, hey, if you have if you have the cash, let's invest now kind of thing? Like, is that generally the advice? I mean, I understand yeah. that you're looking at the broad, big financial yeah. plan, but I'm just yeah. saying, it's just generally broadly speaking.
1: Yeah, so generally speaking, if the clients were in an accumulation phase, absolutely. Like ac- volatility for an accumulator is like, man, i falling from heaven. Like it's gold. Yeah, yeah. Um, for the retiree, it was, uh, okay, let's figure out what we're gonna do. And we have your portfolio well constructed to handle this. And this is where you're at and it's, oh, okay. But that's a very different conversation than if you're a do-it-yourself investor, you're hearing the doomsday scenarios and you're in retirement and you're like oh this could be the end and you've never been through it you've never managed your own portfolio through that and now all of a sudden the world's ending i need to pull it out well
0: i'm not i'm not gonna lie about this i was listening to cnbc and and bnn every single day multiple times a day during that time um and yeah i would i would say um, probably that's because i didn't necessarily have somebody who was uh, you know well versed in this stuff but I think even if like for example if you were my financial consultant I would still you know because you just don't know either right like nope. you admitted it right like you just yep. don't know um, so I'd be like okay well why should I trust like what how is that how is he gonna change my behavior like what what would you what are you doing to mitigate the behaviors of that you would see in a self-directed investor? Like in that moment, does it just purely the trust and you know history with those clients, or?
1: But it's also like you said, bringing it back to the plan and reshaping that conversation, Mm. right? Like when I have a when I know what the plan and the income longevity is, and I know what we've projected as far as volatility goes in the portfolio, and we're still within our target ranges, and I have that conversation to say, "Hey, Rapesh, you know your portfolio is down. This is what it's down by." But don't worry, I've already run the projections. We're still in great shape regardless of what continues to happen. That's a very different conversation. And it it invokes a trust and a calmness so mm-hmm. to let you think rationally. To get me a second breath to say, this is what I'm seeing happen. I don't know how we're going to come out of this, but I know we're going to come out of this stronger than before. You're already down but the worst thing you can possibly do at this moment is pull out because you've
0: mm-hmm.
1: capitalized and you've realized those losses your your our plan has already taken this into account and we're still on tra- on track to achieve your goals
0: right mm-hmm. yeah yeah no that's uh, that makes sense um, yeah I, I, it's hard to it's hard to Hard for me, anyways, to imagine those still like um, to put a lot of put a lot of faith in that. But I think that would definitely help for sure. Yeah. Um, when we when we think about I'm just thinking about index investing now, though, just like in these, you know, you just invest in like a index fund that follows the S and P or, or whatever it is. I, I'm hearing, and I'm really curious about your thoughts about the do you, do you think that there is a bubble? Like, do you think that there's I know that there's one theory out there. Like I think I heard as much as like 45 percent of like the the U.S. To- stock market is mostly now passive index investors, and uh, people are concerned about that. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm just kind of curious.
1: Yeah, um, I mean I'm not going to speculate on if there's a bubble or not. But that being said. I did look at the composition, and I'll just talk about the S and P because that's what I looked at. And I think two years ago there was five companies making up over fifty percent of that index. Mm. Which, mm. you know, if you're looking for diversification, and there's 250 companies making up an index, and five are owning over fifty percent of it, mm-hmm. do you truly have a diversified portfolio? There, mm. um, I'll let every listener be their own judge for that, but mm. just food for thought. Um do I think there's a bubble? I don't know. I don't have a magic eight ball that works. Um everyone's always projecting a bubble, a bear or a bull. I mean, that's just the way our world works. And I think there's a lot of newspapers, blogs, videos, etc. predicting what's going to happen. I have a weather app on my phone. I don't know about your phone and your weather apps out in Alberta, but I know mine is inaccurate most of the time. And if it's going to rain on my app, I'm like, okay, let's go to the beach because I know that it's going to be wrong, right? And I mean, there's a lot of satellites. There's no emotional behavior in tracking of weather, and they're still Mm -hmm. wrong. There's so much emotion and unpredictability as far as the market goes. I don't really trust any prediction.
0: Are... Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I I think what I'm just seeing is, are two things. Just you see a ton of advice from some pretty well-known investors, people that are household names, right? Who are who are saying the best way to invest is just to put all your money in a in a fund that tracks the S and P. And so you're seeing a ton of people just just blindly put in money into into index investing, and then the other piece is that. Um, maybe it's more of a personal concern is people are, I, I suspect they're starting to become a little bit more conscious of, obviously the people are conscious are becoming conscious consumers and what you buy in your, in, you know, at stores. But I think people are also starting to become more conscious investors. Right. And if you're a conscious investor an index fund, I don't know if is is right for you, right? Like you said, and we don't have to talk about the specific companies, yeah. but like, you know, the S and P, like you said, five companies make up fifty percent of the fund. Well, these companies are kind of in a little bit of hot water these days, right? Just yep. from a you know, we're talking about big tech companies and so I just wonder if people understand that, you know, their money is going to these big companies that they also are probably not big fans of as well, right? Um anyways, it's I, yeah. I just wonder if people are kind of putting all this stuff together. So I worry a little bit about um just blindly putting money into and it makes sense. I get it. Like just invest in the total market and you're generally safe and, uh, largely diversified unless you're, like you said, just the S and P, but there's gotta be more to it.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with, you know, hopefully they're wise in doing their due diligence. But, you know, if you're young and you've never been through a 2020 before, or you've never seen the long-term trajectory of the market, it, causes a pause to say, do you actually know what you're doing? Or are you just putting your money in there? When it drops 10, 20%, you'll be like, oh my goodness, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's the other side of that equation, right? If you invested in April of last year, and you've just continued on until August of this year, you know, your returns look incredible. And of course, you'd be riding high because you did it on your own. And Really, there was no skill mm-hmm. involved. It was just the way the market worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you we go through a period with stagnant growth, you're gonna be more apt to like, why am I not getting my 20, 30, 40% mm-hmm. f- rate mm-hmm. of return? And that's where behavioral issues start to creep in and you know, the expectations are not matched. And if you go through September and you invested started last September, or sorry last, april 2020 and you looked at your portfolio at the end of september this month this year um you know it might have been a rude awakening for a lot of people to say oh my goodness i'm down i've never been down before i must have been doing something wrong or i this is not what i signed up for
0: that's to me that's a really interesting point adam when you talk about expectations and i are you concerned that especially maybe some of the young investors who haven't been through corrections in the past or who haven't been through, you know, like you said, 20, 30, 40, 50, sometimes in, in some cases with some equities, hundred, 200% growth in the, in the short amount of time, do you think like their expectations are so skewed that they're just going to have a hard time once things just kind of go back to, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe, I don't know who knows what it's going to be like, but let's just say it goes back to six to eight, 6 to 10%, amazing. That's amazing if you get that yeah. kind of rate of return, right? Like, generally, if you've got 10% on your portfolio, that's amazing. Um, I, I think expectations are skewed. I, I,
1: I would agree. You yeah. know, I think we've gone through this upward trajectory, um, partially because of what the feds have done in just injecting cash. Um, yeah. And so people had time. But it's also interesting, I think, with, you know, I don't know if you watch Netflix, but there's a Money Explained docu-series on it, and it was mm-hmm. interesting to watch that one. And it was talking about gambling and money and stuff along those lines. And basically, the number one downloaded app in April of last year in these states. Robinhood. exactly. So, yeah. And the reason it was downloaded the most was not because people wanted to get into the financial markets for investment purposes. It was casinos were shut down. So we got to gamble really hundred percent, right? I'm sitting at home. I can't go to my casino. Well, let's just get involved in the stock market. And like you sign up on Robinhood or any of the other trap apps and they're mm. giving you free stocks. It's not for investment purposes. It's to get you playing. Um, and so, you know, that's the biggest fear that I have is people are gambling instead of investing. Um, and not understanding the difference between those and you, as well as I know, um, you know, if you win the lottery, that's wonderful. Like literally if you play, if you gamble and you win the lottery, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. But odds are statistically speaking within five to 10 years, that money's gone. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And so it's not just the behavior on the market that matters. It's also how we manage money. And that's a very different conversation than anyone right now in the industry is having with this do-it-yourself approach. If you Mm. have mountains of debt, if you continuously overspend, if you do not live live within your means, it matters not how much you're going to earn in the market or how much you're going to save because of low-cost investments. What's going to end up happening is you're just going to continue to spend and you're still not going to have Mm. two pennies to rub together. Not that we make pennies anymore, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for those who are not Canadian, uh, we don't yeah. have pennies in this country anymore. No. My uh, my my daughter found a couple of pennies. I was like, yeah, go ahead, have them, have yes, a ton of them. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll get some She's rolls so happy. and turn them in at the bank.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah. It, you're seen some crazy stuff. I don't even know what this stuff is anymore. I feel like it should, but like meme stocks, and I mean, obviously, I know about Reddit and, and yeah. Wall Street bets and and all that kind of stuff and for those i don't know i think if you're unless you're not investing at all most people and most people have probably heard that people are investing based on a reddit forum called wall street bets and and investing in stocks that you know i, I don't know if they make any sense anymore but they're just being pumped up and uh, and then nfts right these non-fungible yep. tokens and i don't i don't get you know i don't even understand do you understand what meme stocks are what are these things
1: yeah, so like you said, it's the Reddit forum, and it's just... Oh, okay. So so Wall Street essentially was betting on a, a decrease in value in certain stocks, and so they were shorting mm-hmm. them, basically in a position where they wanted the value to drop so that they could buy them super cheap, buy them back, and it's a whole leveraging strategy. Anyways, um, and so this group on Reddit looked and could see the transactions happening and said, you know, if we got enough crowdsourcing together, we can Mm. more or less make wall street suck it. Mm. Um, (laughs) and so they pumped up the price of these stocks. And as a result, the wall street hedge funds had to come up with more money to meet their margin, their market margin, margin demands. Um, with the hope that they would continue to lose money and they'd be able to put Mm. these hedge funds under. Of course, that didn't happen, um, but that's what it—that's where it started. And then we continue to see different meme stocks, where it's just let's pick a stock and we can literally crowdsource the fund value or the stock value up, mm. and then pull out. And who's ever left-handing it gets a losing day. Um, so do we
0: know—do we know with Wall Street bets whether it was mainly just like the average retail investor, or were there some heavy hitters in there? I
1: don't know. Um, yeah. I mean I, I don't know and I'm not even gonna speculate on that. Um, yeah. but it regardless of how it played out, it was a from someone not involved in it, it was a pretty cool social experiment to see if you could legitimately manipulate the market because that's what was happening. Like it was mm-hmm. a legitimate manipulation of the market. And I'm not a securities regulator in the states nor in Canada, Um, but yeah, it was. It's very showing of what can happen in a market based on nothing other than emotions and behaviors.
0: Not to say that doesn't happen with large hedge funds, right? (laughs) It's not like they're. They're not innocent in that in that equation as well, right? right. Like we see that too. So it is actually kind of amazing if it was largely just like retail investors that they were able to crowdsource and and move the market the way they did and take on large hedge funds. I think that's pretty badass.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's it's pretty. It's kind of rebel, that's for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and
1: I, mean, I mean, I don't know, like I don't know, like you do, if it's just retail guys. But I do know Robinhood shut down for a few, day. Starting it, and a few that. other online platforms. So you kind of got to think like, if it wasn't retail investors, at least Robinhood said there's a lot of risk here, and people don't understand what's truly going mm-hmm. on, in it's market manipulation. And we can argue right or wrong. Was that the right decision? Oh, but they, that's, yeah. That's they what got, happened. That
0: Robinhood's foundry I know, got a lot of got a lot of flack for that. Yeah, I remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting time. And what's, what are the, do you track any disruptors? I mean, we talked about the self-directed investing, but just from, yeah, any sort of disruptors that you, that you're just following from a personal standpoint or interested in, um, in tracking when it comes to investments?
1: Not overly. Um, no, no. I mean, I read so much and it's like, you know, everyone has their own different view on things. And I think even as someone that like, this is what I do. Um, it's amazing how much we disagree to agree, right? Mm-hmm. Like literally there's an ar- an article one day from one author saying today, the market's dropping because of inflation. And the next day the article comes out, investors have come to their sense and the market's doing well, despite inflation or because of inflation. And it's just like, Someone's written that, you've just put your name to it, and you had to have an article to provide a commentary to the market which is changing, and you're assuming it's because of this and this. And, you know, it's just, it's really amazing how much content is out there. And I think from where I sit when I work with clients, when I talk to young people, they read it all, they still need to have it simplified to them yeah. and what it means to them.
0: Yeah. Um, We're getting to get into about an hour here. I feel like I can yeah. keep talking and in, in investing. Sure. I, I'm, I'm curious. We might have to have you back, Adam, because I think people benefit from just hearing your hearing your thoughts on, you know, we probably should talk more about the broader financial planning and and uh, not just focus on investing, but investing, it's a sexy topic. I like talking about it. It's and, fun.
1: And that's exactly it, right? Like, that's why it gets what it gets because it's exactly yeah. what you said. It's sexy. It's exciting. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's awesome when you look at a portfolio and it's up significant. Um, but I just know that there's a flip side to that equation. And when they go down, people get upset.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right?
1: And it's like, It's not that we did anything differently. It's that's what happens in the market. Well, why doesn't it always go up? Just because the market isn't performing how you want it to perform doesn't mean it's not performing as it should.
0: Hmm. That's a that's that. I like that. Let's let's uh, let's wrap on that line. I really like that. Um, If your personal sort of favorite investment resources, what would what what do those look like? Like any particular books or any any people that you love to follow or yeah. Yeah. So I mean,
1: I'm going to put out pull out an oldie, but a goodie, but Jeremy Siegel's stocks for the long run. Okay. Um, he's a Wharton professor. So not just an average meme person or blogger, (laughs) or whatever we call them these days, social influencer, I guess. Um, very well researched, very technical book. Um, I'll tell you the highlights. Invest in the market. <laughs> um, I mean his research is pretty impressive. I mean, going back all the way to eighteen hundred and two, I believe it was, he tracked the different asset classes and how they've tracked in inflationary periods and net of inflation and tracking real returns. And it's just it's an awesome history lesson and identifying despite whatever craziness has happened since 1802 and just how Mm -hmm. how resilient the market is and it's just you know you read that and you're just grounded and you know i don't need to get caught up on what's happening today i don't need to read and make adjustments to my portfolio today it really has nothing to do with the day-to-day events that are going to result in your long-term returns
0: that sounds like a that sounds like definitely a worthwhile read for sure yeah Uh, yeah um. Well, I usually wrap up these things with a couple of questions. If you're okay with yeah, that, yeah, let's do it. Um. So the first one's uh, five for dinner. So dead or alive, who are the five people that you yeah. want to have dinner with?
1: Yeah, it was funny. I I got the uh, questions a few days ago, and mm. we were sitting down for dinner as a family. So I started asking my family members what they wanted, who they wanted there. My children stole two of mine, and then. Um, my son added in three of his friends, so that was quite the conversation. (laughs) Um, so anyways, um, five for me. Um, so my grandpa on my mother's side, I would have him Mm. for dinner. Um, I knew him, but like, I was probably maybe grade one when he passed away, but Mm. had a really, really good relationship with my grandma, like his wife, um, Mm. all the way through university, um, you know, after university, um, just like a really pivotal person in my life. So my grandpa, because I never had mm-hmm. the opportunity to meet him and just understand who he was. So my grandpa, yeah. for sure. Um, I'm going to invite Jesus. I'm going to steal from Stu McGill inviting invite Jesus. But I'm going to bring Judas with him just because okay. I'd love to see that conversation. I'd love to just be a part of that and understand just all that. Just be a part of that conversation. So I'm bringing him. So that's three. Um, I should have written them down because I had five that night. Um, probably bring my grandma. Um,
0: yep. Yeah. Is br- your maternal grandma?
1: Yeah. So like, my, I bring my grandpa and his wife. His wife. Grandma. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would probably bring. Oh, I know who it was. Jack Layton. I was going to bring Jack Layton, um, totally curveball. Um, but you know, not because I'm an NDP voter or anything like that, but I just really feel like he was the last leader of Canada that we've had at a federal level that had a vision for the country and wasn't solely out for popularity or his own purpose. Like I truly feel like his vision, he had a vision. And that's something that very different than I hear from any politician these days. So those are my five.
0: Um, that's that's uh, I mean, everyone who kind of comes out, has been on the podcast. It's always really interesting to hear their five, and and that's uh, those are really beautiful people. And uh, for those who are who are not Canadian, uh, Jack Layton was a leader of one of our political parties, um, the New Democratic Party of Canada, and he passed away in two thousand eleven and. Um, that campaign f- that he ran that that uh, that time around was was there was a movement and it was magical and he was um, definitely most I would I I can't imagine that many Canadians wouldn't dis- would wouldn't agree with this but he came up he was very earnest and genuine and authentic and really spoke to the people and and uh, I remember I mean he's from Toronto and uh, his yeah. funeral the, just the, the procession that followed him was was something I had never, uh, seen before, at least in Canada. Like you usually see that with, um, you know, us presidents or, or something like that, or big, big celebrities. So, um, yeah, that's a fantastic, um, fantastic Canadian leader to, to acknowledge for sure. Um, besides the circle of life, what do you know for sure, Adam?
1: (laughs) Um, what do I know for sure? So, I know for certain um, that there's a God or a higher power, and I just choose to call that a higher power God. I just know that for certain. I know that regardless of what challenges the economy or we as a society have, um, staying invested for the long-term will work out. Um, I know that a lot of stress gets handled in the gym for me personally <laughs> uh,
0: as, as much as much as I as much I you know I can't knock the first thing you said of course but I love the last thing that you said of course right? so yeah I get um, that one
1: <laughs> Yeah, loud music and a lot of iron solves a lot of problems
0: man yeah. I uh, my daughter always comes uh, to she watches me in the gym and she'll just sit there and in the beginning it was like when she, because she's only three and a half, turn four um, in a few months, but she would just sit on the on the bench if I was or sit beside me and just watching. It's so cute. Now though, she's gotta like I'm listening to my podcast. I'm, like, not my podcast. Let's be clear about that. I'm just listening to myself. <laughs> ego just goes uh, like this. Yeah, seriously. Right in the morning, just gotta pump the ego. Uh, no, I'm listening to I'm listening to to other people, of course. And she comes down and she wants to listen to. You know stories and wants to listen to her kids' music. So honestly, for the last three months, Adam, I've been working out to like children's music and stories. Oh. And so, oh no, yeah, but you, uh, you know, that. makes 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 her day, and uh, that's probably what matters most, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah.
1: remember my kids. I used to get up really early in the morning and go train, and so like by early in the morning, like I'd be in the gym by six quarter after six train mm-hmm. till quarter after seven get in the house shower get out the door for work but like my kids were not allowed to bed until seven but then they started knowing that i was getting up and going to go train so sure enough my middle daughter she comes down and she started hanging out with me in the garage and my wife mm-hmm. who's still in bed didn't know until one day she comes in with the red gatorade on her lips and mom's like where were you in this garage with daddy You just blew our cover, daughter.
0: Yeah, seriously. Yeah, for sure. Well, you shouldn't have given her a Gatorade, man. Right? Yeah. Look, man, I
1: needed something. It was early morning. I wasn't going to eat and then left. That's not a good combination.
0: No, 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 that's for sure. Um, My friend, it's been... uh, I'm so glad that we got to connect. I'm so glad we got to do this. Um, Come back anytime. Yeah. I'd love to continue talking to you. It's actually, in some ways, it's more fun to just record our conversation rather than even have a separate conversation outside of this yeah. um, for the listeners out there Adam and I were just talking just before this and I was like stop we just got to start recording because <laughs> this is like so great I just want to just, just want to capture this so um, but thank you so much for taking time I know it's um, you're two hours ahead and so it's a weird uh, weird time to be recording this on a Friday night you probably have better things to do uh but i, I appreciate i pre- yeah you know let's be real um, i got three kids I, in
1: bed and a wife on the couch it's not that much excitement
0: okay well I, I nevertheless i appreciate it um it's it's been fun connecting and i hope we do it again uh sometime soon
1: absolutely just ask and i'll be here bud
0: thanks man okay well i'm gonna put adam's uh, information in in the show notes and uh you can learn a little bit more about him and again, like, subscribe, leave any comments about the about the episode today. We'd love to hear back. And uh, thanks for joining us. Let's wrap, guys. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Bye.